0: Hello, my name is David Runciman, and this is Talking Politics. Helen Thompson and I are in a studio in London, and we are delighted that we have Michael Lewis with us, who over the past two decades has written the books that explain our world from finance to sport to psychology, and now Trump and the American government. Talking Politics is brought to you in partnership with the London Review of Books. This Christmas, it's thought that counts. Give everyone you know a subscription to the LRB for just 19 and they'll throw in a free 2020 calendar featuring some of the best of their fantastic cover art. Find this special festive offer at lrb.me forward slash Christmas. Michael, one of the themes of The Fifth Risk is that Trump and his people are deeply ignorant of how government works. But that's also a strategic choice. I mean, it really serves their interests to not know it. How does that work? How does it work, do you think, as a political strategy to be running the government and profoundly
1: ignorant? I think you've got to make a distinction between Trump and the Trump administration. And I think what we have right now is kind of government by whim, at the very top and lots of people within his administration kind of trying to cover for him in in various ways. So the way it works with Trump is I think that his ignorance gives him a pass to ignore the consequences of the things he does. I mean, I think if he actually knew what it was he wasn't managing, I think he'd go insane. Even he wouldn't sleep at night. Even he wouldn't sleep at night. I think that's right. And but let's get across the degree of the negligence and the ignorance. This is the degree to which he does not let information in. And this is what caught my eye about the story, that there was a law that required Barack Obama to, to depute uh, deputize a 1,000 people to prepare to hand the government over, and that they had spent six months across the federal government preparing to explain how it worked to the person who was elected, whoever that person was, and that there was a law that required both the candidates, Hillary Clinton and Donald Trump, to prepare hundreds of persons' operation to go in and receive the government. You know, unlike the UK government, the US government is run by political people. Donald Trump was supposed to appoint 4,000 people to run this 2 million person enterprise and that the day after the election, he fires the entire transition operation. So there's absolutely no exchange so that I can, months, I mean, more than months, year and a half after he's taken office, I can go into any department in the government and get briefings that seem to me quite important that the Trump administration has not received. It's that degree of negligence. And so when he starts with... None of this matters. It doesn't matter. I can put whoever I want into these jobs. I don't have to listen to anybody. It's a, it's a It becomes a reality TV show. What he's done is shut down any channel of kind of information out of the bureaucracy to him. And as far as I can tell, his only relationship to this thing he's running is to use it as a kind of whipping boy every now and then. The deep state.
2: Do you think, though, that in part that is because it didn't really occur to him that he could win?
1: Oh, I think this is absolutely true. I mean, he is the dog who caught the car, right? He wasn't, he didn't mean to catch the car. I mean, the whole thing was a, a brand building exercise and it got out of control. Partly he didn't think he was going to win. So, that, for that reason, he told Chris Christie this. Chris Christie built his opera, his transition operation that basically this is a waste of my money to build this thing. And Christie had to explain to him, Nobody, you're required to, to, By do, law, yeah. to, to do this. So, that's partly it. But now, if you had, if you had run for president as a brand building exercise and you had won by accident your next step wouldn't be to just ignore everything that it, the government does you'd be you'd be panicked right you'd be oh my god i've got to learn how this place runs but absolutely no interest i mean no interest at all, all right, so for me the problem in my society is not confined to Donald Trump. There's been a, I mean, the, the whole country needs a civics lesson. I need a civics lesson. And we've been able to afford to ignore our government and be vaguely hostile to it for decades. Trump just made this material interesting. You know, he, he's just taken it to an extreme. So in some ways, the way he's behaved has been a huge public service because it's drawn everybody's attention to this thing that has been kind of neglected. And like you say, for him, there is a kind of advantage in not knowing
0: because if he knew— He couldn't be the kind of politician he is. For American citizens, you can go a long way and spend a lot of time not knowing how government works, and then you might collide with it. But there are other people who, though he didn't fill many of these roles, he filled some of them. I mean, some people have been sent in, and they are actually sitting at the top of some of these organizations. How does that work? They can't shut their eyes to the whole thing. And you write about some of them in the book. We'll come on to some examples. But how do you think the kind of political strategy works there, if you're sent in to run a big government department by a president who doesn't know how it works, elected by people who don't know how it works?
1: So it's a complicated story because once you abandon any sense that there's any deep mission here and you don't, as president, actually care what's going on in your government, you attract more than one kind of person. So there is a strain in the Trump administration of just kind of shocking corruption, so that's one kind of person you attract is someone who has an actual business interest in whatever this, the government's doing, either in disabling it or turning it in a certain direction that will benefit your, either your company you, you come from, assets you own. So a good example of this, maybe the purest case study, the National Weather Service. It's how Americans get their weather, but Americans don't know that's how they get their weather. The National Weather Service gathers all the data required for the weather models and actually generates its own very good predictions but we also have this private weather enterprise companies that sell market weather forecasts the weather channel accuweather and these places depend on the national weather service for their data in order to make their weather predictions Americans just see the private companies mainly because the national weather service is not allowed to market itself even though it's hovering there in the background and so Every now and then you'll have some numbnut congressman say, why do we need the National Weather Service so we can get our weather from AccuWeather? But but they're not realizing that AccuWeather is getting its weather from the government that these people are supposed to be managing. So Trump, into the job of running the National Weather Service, allows the fellow who's the CEO and owner of this family business, AccuWeather, who has been for decades trying to stymie whatever relationship the National Weather Service has with the American people and make it difficult for the American people to get the National Weather Service forecast so they have to pay for AccuWeather. And if you go into the National Weather Service, they would tell you this is the single worst person to put in charge of us because he's hostile to our the service we provide the American people. The, the guy actually tried to get a bill passed that made, it would forbid the National Weather Service for communicating with the American people. Now, think about what that means. It means you're going to privatize weather forecasting, or at least the delivery of the weather forecast. The National Weather Service would still provide its data to AccuWeather. It means that if you're living in Oklahoma and you're worried about tornadoes, God help you if you can't pay for the the very best forecast. It creates this dystopia where rich people can get out of the way of bad weather and poor people get killed by it. So this man is a really good example of one version of the Trump administration, one part of it, uh, which is, like, I have a particular business interest, and I'm going to go in and figure uh, figure out how to turn this enterprise towards it. But I'm not sure that's the majority of the Trump administration. It isn't. You see similar sorts of things with people who've gone in and say ranchers managed to get into the Department of Agriculture right after the election and shut down the publication, of animal abuse cases, things like that that have gone on. Fossil fuel companies have managed to get their, you know, their fingers in various climate change operations and shut them down. So one strain of Trumpism is just like let's just let's just pillage the place. But there's a second, and the second is Rick Perry, who is until now the Secretary of Energy. Now Rick Perry, I think, is probably a pleasant, nice guy, who while he was presidential candidate called for the elimination of the Department of Energy. When he remembered that that was the he one. he couldn't remember that was, he called, he said he wanted to re- remove, eliminate three departments of government, and he couldn't remember the names on stage in a presidential debate. And then afterwards said, oh yeah, it was the Department of Energy. And back then, that did
0: disqualify you from being president because his campaign created well, one. We'd have to ask now whether.
1: What's so funny about it is what people thought was embarrassing was that he couldn't remember the name of the Department of Energy which should have been embarrassing is that he wanted to eliminate the Department of Energy. The Department of Energy manages the nuclear arsenal among other things. And it's not even that's not even the most interesting thing it does. It's got responsibility for not huge but incredibly important sort of seed venture capital investment in technologies that are moonshot technologies that private enter- enterprise won't invest in that has generated, I don't know, the solar power industry comes out of the Department of Energy. Tesla would not exist without loans from the Department of Energy. So it's been really important to the American economy. It also manages all the national labs, Lawrence Livermore, the Berkeley Lab. I mean, it's a science enterprise. But nobody said to Rick Perry when he was, you know, like, how do you justify eliminating this thing? And then, of course, when Trump nominates him, and why does Trump nominate him? Because Trump's now doing it all by himself as a reality TV show, and he thinks energy, oil, Texas, cowboy. He looks like he should be Secretary of Energy. The previous Secretary of Energy was an MIT physicist, which is a really good qualification because you're dealing with a... It's a big physics enterprise. Now, you don't have to be a physicist to run the Department of Energy, but it helps to at least be able to have the conversation. And Rick Perry, he doesn't have a brain that's capable of engaging with the basic mission of of the place. Now, he's not hostile to the mission. When he gets the job, he actually says, I'm so sorry. I said we were going to eliminate this. Now I know what it does, that it's clearly really important. And then he runs around and becomes a cheerleader for the Department of Energy. But he can't actually manage it. He's He's incapable of it. And so that's a second version. It's just people who managed to stay in Trump's good graces, who were willing to demonstrate sufficient loyalty to Trump, who were completely... And utterly unqualified for the jobs they've been given, but they want to garnish their resume. So that's there's some of that, and quite a bit of that, actually, especially in lower-level positions. And I'd say the, the third streak are people who are actively hostile to government, ideological libertarians, who are often hooked up to industries that want to see regulation eliminated, that kind of thing. But Mick Mulvaney, for example, put in charge of the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau, which is everybody agreed on the back end of the financial crisis, like was a was a good thing to create. We needed a we needed a referee between the bottom half of the American economic order and Wall Street, which was pillaging them. You know, in the subprime mortgage loan space, in payday lending, in student loans, these things need to be policed because the people who are using the financial products are easy to abuse. And they're being abused. Mick Mulvaney has gone in in the most extraordinary way, and there have not really been very many stories about this. This is a, but he's gone in, and they can't eliminate the department. That it's not in their power, but they can like take everybody from the student loan place and move them over to the payday loan place. So they don't know what they're doing, or tell them none of this stuff is going to be released. Do your work. None of it's going to go anywhere. They just stuck a wrench in it, and I mean there are in- financial interests. That are happy. They stuck a wrench in it, but I think they stuck a wrench in it in part because Mick Mulvaney thinks that, like, government regulation shouldn't exist. This kind of idiot libertarian thing. So it's lots of different things going on at once. Trumpism.
2: But would you say, you know, it seems to me when I was listening to you that they all see more extreme forms of what's happened before. So the first one that you have plenty of businesses who see government as an opportunity to get contracts. Um, from the second one, you get. Bl- political appointments, people who are basically being rewarded for their loyalty to a, a president. And the third one's the kind of thing that the Reagan administration, to some extent. So do you see this as a, a continuum in which it's then a, Trump just took it to a whole other it's level? It's a
1: caricature. That's right. It's just more extreme, <laughs> yeah. unleavened by actual expertise. That's the other theme, is that anybody who knows anything need not apply. There are a couple of exceptions, like people who ended up in jobs and it's surprising how well-suited they are for the job, but we're, nobody was paying attention. Head of the SEC, I think, is very good. By accident, some people have ended up in the right job, but there were a whole raft of people who were Republicans, who were well-suited to run some of these places, who knew things, who were dismissed largely because they knew something. Because in knowing something, you're it's harder to resist the impulse to challenge Trump. I mean to go to explain to him. Have you seen, you know, it's very interesting to see the way Trump responds when someone tries to tell him something new. And he did this very publicly. I, it was sort of hit Twitter for a moment and then it didn't get the attention I thought it deserved. When you know, maybe three or four months ago, two American female astronauts did a spacewalk. And what was historic about it was two women had never walked in space together before. But women had walked in space not just American women, Russian woman was the first one to do it, and obviously lots of people walked in space. But they had a call with Trump while they were doing it. So there was this great moment where Trump, all he had to do was be gracious. But Trump says, he gets on, he says, you're the first women to walk in space. Well, the women astronauts, there's a great tradition of female astronauts, they know that they wasn't true. They just said very politely, we would be remiss if we didn't say that, you no, know, some, a woman has walked in space before us. And this is all on, on camera. Trump gives them the finger. As, they're, as the minute they are start telling him this, in the, in the polite way, he does, he does this, you know, in a way a teenage boy does with his mom and rubs his middle finger up against his temple. He's giving them the finger. I think that is kind of like this is one aspect of his character. It's a terrifying aspect that he, he regards people telling him things he doesn't know as an insult because he knows everything know nothing, you know everything. His belief about himself, and I think it's a very deep belief, is I know everything. So if you're trying to tell me something new, then you're challenging my sense of myself. And I think that's who he is. So that's a problem when you take over something as complicated as the government because nobody, nobody knows. Even in like this really funny one of the things, I didn't know anything about the government when I went in and started writing this book. To find out that lifetime civil servants who work inside the Department of Agriculture are so aware of how little they know about their own department that they've created a drinking game. And the drinking game is someone says something that the government does. And you have to guess, as an employee of the Department of Agriculture, whether the Department of Agriculture does it. And if you guess wrong, you drink. And there's so many things the Department of Agriculture does that this drinking game can go on forever. So it's a complicated enterprise. And the pose of the, I mean, the most useful attitude of anybody who's been elected president in its presence is humility. You need to explain this to me. And he took the opposite approach. He fired everybody who could have explained it to him and said, I'm doing it all by myself. So then the question is like, what are the consequences? It's a a novel. Even Reagan didn't do this kind of thing. It's a novel approach to governing.
0: When I was reading about the AccuWeather guy... It made me think of that ongoing argument in American politics. Obama captured it when he said, you didn't build this, we built it. You know, and that, and that argument that the entrepreneurs think that they are the engines of innovation and growth. But it's almost always piggybacking off government work. And the question is, do they know it or don't they? But the AccuWeather guy knows it. I mean, the difference between the ignorant ones and him is that he doesn't have a business without government. He can't be naive and ignorant. And that one was scarier in a way to me than the, the Rick Perry thing. Because it's so cynical. Yeah, ignorance can be filled in. But this guy, he's not no. he's not lacking the knowledge. And he's playing with
1: fire. Yeah. Literally. No, I know. And Trump doesn't mind. Playing with fire is fine. He, 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 the, you know, you saw, you saw Trump's attitude towards the National Weather Service when there was that tornado outbreak in the Southeastern United States. And he says, just off the cuff... It's going to hit Alabama. Watch out, Alabama. And the National Weather Service has explicitly said, it's not going to hit Alabama. Don't watch out, Alabama. And this is significant. People are doing things in response to what the president is saying. And then Trump demanded they give him a map that showed the cone of probability, including Alabama, which they didn't do. So on national television, he takes a Sharpie and redraws the, the tornado warning map so that it includes Alabama. So, I think Donald Trump's response to the dude who walks in and says, I want to run the weather service. I, I'm a CEO of AccuWeather. First, he knows the weather. He's from AccuWeather. Second, when he finds out just how, if he were to find out how corrupt it was, I want a piece of the action. When, but- the, when the AccuWeather
0: guy sees Trump changing the map, that's not good for the AccuWeather guy's business model. I mean, at some point, presumably, there ought to be a tension between the ones who know they depend on government. And, OK, they're going to stifle it and prevent people getting information so they can be the conduit. But they need
1: the information. They need the information. And a president who doesn't yeah. give a shit. No. So you, I think the stories that will be told of what people thought and did around Donald Trump, who happened to have been put in the positions people who knew a little bit or a lot, to either offset him, stymie him, or just swallowing their their concern, it's going to be great. There's no way we know but a fraction of the horrifying things that might have happened had there not been someone there to, to like not let him sign the paper or not let him issue the order or just ignore the order. And, so, and the Bob Woodward... But gave a bit of that, but it was was at the level of, as
0: it were, the West Wing. You know, it was the people who could get into the Oval Office and remove the piece of paper from his desk. Right. But this is something completely different. This is all you know. This this is through the administration. This is actual government, not not just the executive. That's right. And there are thousands of people grappling with this every day.
1: Yes, that's right. In if it were a private enterprise, the government, well, it would have emptied out by now, probably. But in addition, there'd be such an impulse to go and make all of it public problem is Trump has walked into an environment that's perfectly, it's as ideally suited for him to get away with this as an environment could be because the civil service is taught you obey the president. You're here to serve at the pleasure of the president. And when I was working on this book, the single biggest problem was getting inside the places. And people who were still working there felt that was almost treasonous to talk, to me unless Trump wanted me to talk to them, so Trump didn't want me to talk to them. So that I had to get what I got in all kinds of tricky ways, but I wasn't really inside the places. And you just know inside the places there is a story that's breathtaking. One of my literary fantasies is if Trump loses the next election, would be to take 12 writers I think are just great and drop them inside the various departments of government. Just tell me what happened. Because you know, you could you go to the Department of Transportation, and I bet there's a, a novel to be written. And nobody's paid much attention to. Talking
0: Politics is brought to you in partnership with the London Review of Books.
1: so to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch.
2: $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promoting for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. So how does you see this all this fitting with democratic politics? Because you know, the way that you know, read the book, and it's hard to avoid the conclusion that you've drawn that, that the man shouldn't be president, that a man... It's not. It's not actually so much his ignorance as you say, because everybody, in the face of the scale of the federal government, has to be ignorant to some degree. It's the absence of any humility in the face of the ignorance and and unwillingness to take any responsibility. Or to learn for his ignorance. Yeah, or to or, or to learn,
1: or to find people who know yeah. things.
2: But he's also elected president of the United States, and that he will be up for re-election. So, what do you do in democratic politics when? Somebody who is so unfit for office, in your sense, then is elected to the presidency.
1: What do you do? <laughs> Why are you well, asking we don't, me? We don't have that. What problem. am I supposed to we do? We don't
2: have this problem because we have a parliamentary system. <laughs> and if at a certain point, if it were the case that parliamentary uh, colleagues of a prime minister reached that conclusion. They could remove him. They could, they could remove him or her right. from office. But that isn't the same in the United so States. So it
1: can be done in the United States. I'm going to dust this off because at the beginning of his administration, there was talk of it. The, the cabinet can the remove him. The 25th Amendment. Yeah, there's that amendment. The cabinet can remove him. The Congress can remove him. They're going to impe- about to impeach him. They're not going to remove him, it doesn't look like. So there, he could be removed. That doesn't appear all likely.
2: But they couldn't impeach him for being the, Just bad. For, for being the problem that you're if describing they, they read, in this book.
0: You read The Fifth Risk and you think... This is not good, um, and this is incredibly dangerous. Uh, you know, the, the, the risk, as you say, the, you know, the fifth risk is the big one, and so it cannot stand. And yet, this book is not an impeachable offense. <clears <No>. <clears <throat> I mean, not not you're writing it, but the material. The material. <laughs> the material <laughs> it might be an Yeah, it offense. might be a treasonable yeah. <laughs> offense. Um, but you know, as well, you present this in the United States Congress, and this is not evidence for impeachment. No, that's true. So what? So, so there is this. I mean, do, do you
2: skew, well, so, skew so you the asked process? Me what
1: do I do. I write. No, this no, book,
2: what you does know. your country's politics do? All
1: right. So it's a curious thing because you would think that the president's unwillingness to manage the two million person workforce he's supposed to manage would be an issue. It's part of the issue that you know all the people who hate him have with him, but it isn't the main issue, and his supporters don't seem to care at all. So it hasn't surfaced in a funny way in the so far in the election. I had thought when I started in on this, when I started to learn all the things the government did and how it was now being managed, I did think, like, this is... It's, it's a huge issue waiting to happen. It's, someone is going to campaign positively selling the government rather than attacking it at some point. And the question is, like, what triggers that? What, co- what will cause it to surface? And it's, what will happen is some catastrophe that is clearly the result of government mismanagement will make it possible for someone to start to sell the story. Like, we need to do this better because look what just happened. On the order of, I don't know, Bush with Katrina, that, that particular instance wasn't enough at the time to inspire some Democratic candidate to say, you know, what this thing does is so important. Here's, you need to understand it. But the fact is, it is. And I think it's just like one day we'll look back and say, how did it take them so long? To figure out that they that they could sell their government to the people.
2: But couldn't you argue that Katrina actually was the point from which the Bush presidency actually didn't recover?
1: It's true, but what was surprising is that the way the way it was framed was Bush doesn't care about ordinary people. Oddly, I think he actually did care about ordinary people. It should have been framed as, "This is what happens when the government is not managed properly." But it, it it wasn't. So there was an opportunity missed there from the point of people who won't, who think that we need to re-engage with the government and figure out how to run it better. Elizabeth Warren, seen from the outside, could
0: have been that candidate. Might still be. Might still be. And yet there seems to be, you know, there is this thing in democratic politics that people obsess with the what, you know, like, what's she going to do? What She's got a plan for this, but not the how. Your book is about the how, more yeah. than the what. And from the outside, it doesn't seem like she's articulating the... It almost doesn't matter... It matters what the plan is, but it doesn't matter how brilliant the plan is. What really matters is how. You know, If we don't have the capacity, it doesn't yeah, so matter you, how good the plan is.
1: But she's not saying that, is she? So if you want to regulate Wall Street properly and you have an inept Consumer Financial Protection Bureau, because we've intentionally made it inept, it doesn't matter how much you want to regulate Wall yeah, Street. It doesn't Wall. matter how great your plan That's is. That's right. It doesn't matter how great your plan is. This is totally right. I think it's more likely that an Elizabeth Warren is going to engage early on with the how, because anybody who particularly wants to use the government to do something is going to need to get to that quickly. And there are mechanisms. The trick is there are a couple of things that need to be done that wouldn't need to be done in this society. The minute you have the nomination is when you really engage with the how, because you have to have, you need to go to the Senate before you even get elected and say, this is going to be the raft of people i want to put in i want to put them in quickly that's one of the big problems is getting people in the jobs quickly but also making sure that all those people are you know can be confirmed they're confirmable and they're they're the right people for the job all that it's a management problem it's a management of big organization problem which is sounds like a boring subject and in some hands it would be a boring subject but it doesn't have to be a boring subject but this is the the nut that needs to be cracked is how you manage this enterprise better and someone who doesn't care what the enterprise does or doesn't care if it's run badly is not going to be the person who fixes it. But someone like a Warren would be a likely candidate. So we've just
0: reelected, well, elected because he wasn't elected before, the man that Trump calls Britain
1: Trump. How do you think Boris Johnson feels about being called Britain's Trump?
2: I don't think he, I don't think he likes it. And I don't think he is actually.
0: No, I mean, I think reading your book, he's you a very see different character. He's definitely not the guy who is coming out of the fifth risk. He's not stupid. He's not stupid. He's not ignorant. But also, he's surrounded by people who, so his chief advisor, Dominic Cummings, so he had, you know, Trump does not have someone in that role, has been thinking for 20 plus years about how to reform the administrative state, the blob as he sees it, but not by just neglecting it or ignoring it. Right. I mean it's that other thing which I don't think exists in any of your categories which is the kind of super smart guy who really wants to experiment with this thing, bring in outsiders, get it used to ideas of failure. It's but it's a completely different mindset. I don't I didn't see anywhere in your account those kind of people which who do sometimes attach themselves to not Trump politicians but Boris Johnson star politicians. But Johnson there is a project here to potentially reinvent the administrative state. But it is a conscious thought through it may well not work. But these are totally different kinds totally
1: of Totally different things. And, you know, it's funny, I think I think that the analogy between Trump and Johnson is misleading. There are forces that are obviously propelling similar forces that are propelling both of them, hostility to immigration being a very good example. But they themselves seem like very Different characters and their motives seem a little different to me. You know, when I, I was having an argument with a friend last night, not an argument, discussion, a British friend, who's more screwed, us or you? Would you rather play our hand or your hand? So
0: just say on this podcast, we also include the French when we have this argument. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't think you should leave them out of it, but we will leave but, them out of it. But if but I would They have a smart president, but I'm I not would sure they're in great shape. I'd far rather
1: have your political leader, but I'd far rather have our broader portfolio of problems and assets and liabilities. You, you have bigger deeper problems than I think than we do, but we have we have a genuinely I think insane person running the government. And I think he's actually a crazy person. If he was in any other context, he might be institutionalized, but he's it came out of New York real estate, which tolerates a lot and Manhattan has a lot to answer for. I don't think there's any other society in the states that would have tolerated Donald Trump. New York masked a lot of stuff, and we've got him in the White House, and th- that's just not what you have. It's a, you have a different thing. One shared feature of these two successful
0: politicians, the, the, the movement that supports them, is that when you look at the demographics, they tend to attract votes from people who didn't go to college, I mean, or university. There's a big education yep. divide in politics, and sometimes this is played out as kind of ignorance versus knowledge. But as you say, I mean, I always think that's a very misleading way to do it, that the the people who elected these politicians don't know what they're doing. Because as you say, no one knows this story. You didn't know it. I didn't know it. It's not like the people on the other side, the people who vote for Corbyn or Elizabeth Warren, know what these government departments do. It's, It's not a divide in the electorate between ignorance and knowledge about the need for government. This is true. And so it's a dangerous line because you sometimes hear it. You heard it around Brexit in this country that kind of the ignorant people had voted for the thing they didn't understand. No one understood. That's true. But it's much more dangerous when the president, in the face of that ignorance, behaves like your yes. president does. That seems to be the... Well put. There is a dangerous narrative at work here, which is the electorate is divided between ignorance and knowledge. And I don't think that's the... I agree.
2: I think I just want to pick you up on something you said earlier in that respect as well. You said that we all needed... A, you needed a civic education. I certainly feel like that, that in this country. I feel like we've been put through a civic education over the last three and a half years, because of what happened after the referendum. I don't think that in this country we understood our own constitution. I don't think we understood what was happening to our country's politics. I don't think we understood many of the social and economic problems in this country. In that sense, I think that what's happened has been a wake-up call to us all of facing our own ignorance.
1: So I think this is the silver lining of Trump, is that I think that versions of that have happened to a lot of Americans, an awareness that I need to start paying a different kind of attention to this process. So I think that's true. And I think that, you know, this political moment is a byproduct of a very long period of not exactly peace and prosperity. There obviously, you know, America's been at war in its own way forever, and not everybody is experiencing prosperity. But there's been an absence for a long time of an existential threat of the sort that, like, the Cold War provided, or World War II, or the depression, or the pandemics that happened in the early 20th century. So there's been this less less of a need. People feel less, they, they can afford to ignore this thing.
2: It's the 90s that centers off, I think, into this, the luxury of stepping back from things that actually we needed to be much more engaged with.
1: Yeah. I would have taken it back a little further, the 80s. But yes, I think that's right. It's a luxury to be able to afford Donald Trump in the White House. And I think that a lot of the people who will pay the biggest price for him being there are people who voted for him. And they'll realize at some point that this was, I mean, you know, it was one of the really striking things about the Trump support was that consistently across the country, the more rural the person, the more likely they were to vote for Trump. The fewer people in their town, the more likely they were for Trump. And it's also true that the fewer people who are in your town, the more utterly dependent you are on the United States government for the firehouse, the schools, the hospital, and that people didn't make that connection, that they're handing over essentially the instrument for their salvation to someone who doesn't care about it is breathtaking. It's it's beyond like not voting for your economic interest. It's like you're voting for someone who potentially could just crater your entire existence uh, but
2: isn't it also then a breathtaking indictment of what came before that it got to this point yes
1: it
0: is that i think that's absolutely true we're nearly out of time i w- i was hankering to ask you about the connections between this and all the other things you write about from sport to behavioral economics <laughs> to everything else i want to do one on finance and wall street and a question about ignorance so the people who ran those banks that nearly took us all down did not know what was going on inside those banks clearly that the chief executives did not understand what they were selling and the consequences were nearly were catastrophic for some of them and nearly catastrophic for all of us here we are 10 plus years on so they had the ultimate wake-up call we haven't had that yet in politics and god knows what it would look like if we did Mm -hmm. i mean it doesn't bear thinking about in a way but other people who run those banks? I mean, if we took that as the model, did they learn the lesson? Do they now know what they're doing when they saw the consequences of their ignorance? Or are they back in the place where we started this conversation, which is ignorance is actually strategically useful if you want to be in this business? So... Um, I know it's a big question. Yeah, it it's a big on question. All your other No, interests. no, so what
1: I... I guess my, my crude answer is that the society f- has forced them to behave differently than they behaved leading into the crisis. So, so, for example, they all are better capitalized than they were. All the American banks are much better capitalized than they were before. They've got a cushion that they didn't have. I think it's also true to say that the CEOs are all, if I had to bet, warier of their employees. And
0: more aware of their ignorance?
1: Well, that the people might be doing things inside yeah, the bank. That... So they, they know that if they, if they didn't, know before and it's hard to believe they didn't know before they must know that these institutions are too complicated to manage jp morgan as smart as jamie diamond is and is as well run as it is compared to all the other ones he can't know everything that's going on inside JP Morgan. It's just too complicated. These things are m- many times the size and many times the complexity of the Solomon Brothers that I once worked in, and there was no way the head of Solomon Brothers knew what everybody was doing. I could I could prove it to you because I was doing stuff that that was kind of crazy that he didn't know about, and I was a minion. So I think what they counted on going into the crisis was everybody had the same incentives. Everybody had the same interests inside the bank. And everybody was kind of smart and selfish, so it would result in us making money. They didn't realize that they had people who could make lots of money doing things that would, in the end, torpedo the bank. So I bet they have reacted to that. I don't I don't know for a fact, but I, I bet that they've reacted to that. In any case, we all know the same crisis never happens twice. Whatever happens next, it's not going to look like the financial crisis. It'll look like something else. And if I had to predict what's going to happen in the financial sector, it's not going to start in the financial sector. It'll start with the government. I mean, if Donald Trump does something that calls into question, say, the trustworthiness of the U.S. government to repay its debts, that's the kind of thing that could trigger the next financial crisis.
0: And the other thing to say is a man like Donald Trump would never end up running a bank because well, he, they wouldn't let him anywhere near it. They I thought
1: mean, he was, back when he was a real estate developer, they thought he was dishonest and they thought he was an idiot. By the time he was done with the New York banks, they wouldn't lend to him. So, no, they have very low opinion of him. But he's president. But he's president.
0: We will tweet the links, not just to Michael's most recent book, The Fifth Risk, but to all the other ones, too. They are all worth reading. Starting this weekend, we're going to be putting out the first in our new series of episodes about what the history of America can teach us about American politics now. We're starting with impeachment, the impeachment of Andrew Johnson and the impeachment of Donald Trump. My name is David Runciman, and we've been talking politics.